0: Welcome to the Mystic and the Skeptic, the show that asks the tough questions and explores different alternatives to today's pressing issues, theories, or enigmas.
1: A podcast devoted to the exploration of all things mystical, philosophical, scientific, political, conspiratorial, and cosmic. Join us in an exploration of the Mystic Skeptic
0: Mindspace. Welcome to our show. I'm your host, David. In this week's show, we have a special guest, a series called Sojourners, where we explore intentional living, personal growth, and community creation. We see Sojourners as an opportunity to refocus our show, to be more positive, and have a greater impact on the world we live in. We created Sojourners as an ongoing project that might possibly take over our time slot on radio and become the focus of our podcast. If this takes place, we will still do The Mystic and the Skeptic once a month. Our original shows can be found on archive.org as we upload them in the next few months. We will still discuss ideas that are hot in the blogosphere, YouTube, and Facebook. You're always welcome to check out our previous shows that are now also available on iTunes. The name of our program has changed a little bit now. Instead of being The Mystic and The Skeptic, it is Mystic Skeptic Podcast. If you'd like to stay in touch, please visit our Facebook page. Today we have... Kyla Butler is our guest. Tell us a little bit more about yourself, Kyla. How doulas uh, started, and also, can I give us a bio of your work as a doula?
2: Sure. Um, Well, I started my practice as a doula two years ago. Um, I was inspired through my pregnancy with my son. He led me into this work, and I've been um, passionately pursuing it for two years. I felt a calling to this work through my pregnancy. I realized through my studies and just with talking with other women who have um, gone through pregnancy and childbirth that we need a lot of support through that experience, and I felt called to do that. So I'm currently practicing as a doula in Middle Tennessee, and my business is called Three Moons Medicine Women.
0: For those who are not familiar with doulas, can you Tell us about midwives, doulas, women who have been supporting each other through uh, birth, you know, through the centuries, and how did this uh, new profession come about?
2: Sure. I'll share what I know about the profession. I feel like I learn more and more every day as I practice. Um, I think something that I like to clarify with clients is um, regarding the doula role, we are a non-medical role. So we are there for emotional support and comfort, informal counsel, and there to provide physical comfort through the birthing experience. Anything to do with the medical aspect, that's more in the realm of what midwives do or doctors. So doulas have a non-medical role. Um, It's been proven through statistics that it's helpful to have a a female support person present for a more positive birth experience. And it's something that we naturally did for one another when we lived closer in community with one another. Um, I can't say that I can give you the whole history of how doulas came about. The word means servant to women. So a lot of times I don't refer to my work as work. I refer to it as service. And... Um, The way that I interpret my role is being there for the family while they bring their children earthside and do whatever I can to provide a safe, supportive environment for them to do just that.
0: Let's talk a little bit about what's been happening in the last few years. So there's been films that come out uh, regarding natural birth, and people have become more aware of the positive um, experiences that people can have Uh, pursuing that route and then there's you know a debate regarding like how much medical intervention does uh, a woman need to give birth to a child so what has been your experience um is it a, a battle with families or with people who are struggling to to see the role of midwives and doulas or has it been a positive experience as people become more aware of this this different approach
2: you know, I always speak from experiential knowledge. So for me in my practice, um, I support women through all sorts of birth experiences that they want. So that can be cesarean, natural delivery, if they would like to use um, different pain medications through their experience. I support women no matter what type of experience they want to have. I think that it can often be misunderstood that doulas are only supportive of natural birth and some doulas choose to practice only in the realm of natural birth. But I support women and families through whatever birth experience they want to have with their child. Um, as far as the awareness that's been brought about, um, regarding our role, there have been a lot of movies, um, And documentaries put out about natural birth and the natural birth movement's revival. And as far as me, I am not a very political person. I advocate for women, but I don't advocate for any particular type of birth experience. For me, it's really important that women have choice in the type of experience they have. And I do use the word women a lot, but it's also inclusive of their birth partner.
0: You know, when, when I first heard about the, the doula profession, it seemed like it was for people where the partner or the spouse wasn't very engaged in the process and they were kind of, kind of like the, the typical or the traditional thing where the, the partner would go have, smoke a cigar while the woman is having the baby. Um, so then if you are involved, it feels like it was like double support and I guess you can never have enough support, but, um. Have you experienced that where people might be hesitant because they have other loved ones, like sisters, mothers, involved in the in supporting the the person delivering the baby, and then the doula role um, might not be clear to them or how it can be beneficial?
2: Absolutely. So, anytime that question is presented about um, why hire a doula when I have my sister or my partner. Um, or my mother who's willing to attend. And I think the um, most important thing for me to point out is a doula is trained to support everybody who's in attendance of the birth. So we're there to educate, and um, many times I tell the couples I work with that I would prefer to guide their birth partner to assisting them so they can remember all the ways in which they were supported by him or her rather than remembering what I did as a doula for them. So the doula is more of like the director of the beautiful dance of labor between the woman delivering her husband or partner or whoever's going to be a part of the birth team. Um, I've worked one-on-one with couples. I've um, been just one-on-one with a woman, and I've also been in a room of five people who make up a birth team. And my role as a doula shifts based on how many people are involved, but I'm there to set the sacred space and to kind of orchestrate the dance of labor between everybody who's there to support.
0: Tell us about this idea of a sacred space. Um, You know, people are are used to this, like, medical facility-style birth, or I know that now they have midwives at hospitals. So... What is this sacred space and, and how do you create that? You know, when, pe- when a baby is born, people are, are stressed out, um, you know, th- there's fears, there's all these concerns that come to people's minds. So um, what things can, can a doula do to appease that and to create a more um, friendly environment for everybody and for everybody to feel comfortable through the birth
2: process? Absolutely. With my clients, we discussed that beforehand, um, because every client is going to have a different, um, different needs of what makes them feel comfortable. So as a doula, we discussed that in our prenatal meetings, and setting sacred space, a lot of times it's demonstrating through action the tone that needs to be set in the room and keeping consistency in the environment. Um, most mammals go off into private, dark um, spaces alone to birth their young because it's a very private, sacred affair. So as a doula, whether it's in a hospital or a home birth environment or a birth center, um, it's just bringing elements of comfort and privacy that the woman finds to be most beneficial. So that can be anything from um, dimming the lights, setting up, uh you know, beautiful fabrics, running a diffuser that has supportive essential oils, and holding the actual physical space. So anytime somebody walks into the room, if somebody comes in during a contraction or um, during an intense part of the woman's experience, as a doula, I try to set the example of the tone of voice, speaking quietly, uh, maybe asking that they don't speak to the mother until she's in a space to receive communication and to communicate back. Does that give you an idea?
0: Yes, and uh, has there ever been tension between you and medical staff that it um, might feel a little threatened to have a, a non-medical person there to support the family?
2: Um. You know, I can't say that I've ever faced a lot of adversity um in my role but there are definitely I believe that you get what you give so I think kindness and thanks and appreciation for their role during births we need our medical professionals whether that's a midwife and a midwife assistant or a team of nurses and an OBGYN they're essential to the birth team. So I'm more about promoting partnership and finding our balance together and respecting each other's roles more than showing up as an activist or um, a strong presence. Uh, I respect what they do and um, show them appreciation and gratitude, and oftentimes I get that exact same thing in return. Now, there are the one-off stories that I've heard in my um, circle of sisters that also practice as doulas, but me, personally, I've never faced adversity from medical staff.
0: How do you go about becoming a doula, and is there an association of doulas that you go to conferences and and kind of keep uh, learning from?
2: Yeah, so to become a doula, there's intense um, intensive workshop that you attend. For me personally, I trained through DONA. And um, they're an organization that self-regulates and certifies doulas across North America. So for me, um, you attend an intense, uh, intensive workshop. You train in person for four days. And then there's continued education that you need to follow up on, such as um, you know self study coursework, attending childbirth education courses, um, along with a few other things. DONA is one agency or one association for doulas, but there's various um, doula organizations and associations that train and help support doulas.
0: You say that you're not political, but. Um... Have you ever thought about the implications of, um, of women taking charge of their their health and their bodies and being able to um, you know support each other and and create opportunities for that like do you ever think that um it's important for that type of information to go out there and maybe uh, support causes that are um, influencing in states to to make that available or is it something that um you try to stay away from, and you just focus on on doing your your work and and providing the best service you can.
2: Absolutely. So I'm very, very passionate about women and families taking control, and I shouldn't say control, taking charge of their health. Um, I am a student herbalist studying to become a certified herbalist, and I really, really believe in first trying to find the solutions to our health within our home and the knowledge within our community. So I don't get politically active on a state level or city level. I prefer to be active in my community and share wisdom and knowledge through what I've learned and then connecting with other medicine women in my community um, to help spread that knowledge. Um, I'm a woman's gathering... Um, facilitator. So I host women's circles once a month. Um, One of them is out of my home for any women, um, regardless of season or cycle. And I also host one for women who have lost um, babies and children. So I am more active on a community level to spread that knowledge and to help women more so than I would be politically active on a state or city level.
0: What do you think are the, the myths or the things in the way of people uh, learning more about this? Like, is, is there, um, say so you haven't faced any, any conflict from the medical team, but are there things that impede people to, um, to embrace this type of approach? Or has it been pretty much a smooth ride trying to educate uh, individuals about this?
2: I think there's confusion, and I'm not sure if this answers your question directly, but I think there's confusion in exactly what we do and what, what the benefits of our service are. Um, but typically what I do if somebody is confused about the role or not understanding what it is we do, I put them in touch with people who have hired a do or I'll refer to um, like having them read testimonials from people who have um, hired me, uh, so that there's more explanation of what we do. I think there's also a misconception um, at times that like it's a hippie dippy profession, <laughs> or that it's um, some sort of. N- n- Witchcraft, or something like that, and um, once people learn about it, and now that we have the power of the internet, a lot of people do their own research about what a dua is and what we do, and also with those, all the documentaries that have come out about our roles as well.
0: Do you incorporate um, spirituality or some religious practices from different traditions, uh, into your work, or is that a separate? thing uh, related to herbalism and, and connecting people to nature?
2: Sure. Um, personally, I would identify as a spiritual person, but I accept clients of all faith backgrounds. And really, it's not my job to facilitate my spirituality into their experience. It's more so getting an idea if they want their spirituality to be expressed in their birth experience. So what that might look like is working with a, you know, family that um, may want to incorporate their religion into their birth experience. Maybe we would pick some Bible verses um, that they'd like to call upon to bring them strength in their experience. So my practice requires that I'm open to um, people of all different religious backgrounds there are things that um some people may consider spiritual exercises um such as focused meditation um breathing exercises um bringing intention into the birth experience but that is um interfaith relatable i think
0: there are some books that I would consider controversial like um uh, you know orgasmic births and stuff like that um What's the role of um, sexuality or um, the, the connection with the partner, intimate connection with the partner in the midst of the birth that a doula would be able to um, incorporate or educate the, the couple about?
2: Sure. I believe that um, what I've witnessed in birth is it's a very, I, I don't know that I would say sexual I would say sensual. It's a very sensual process, and it's very sacred, and it's very vulnerable. Um, So to incorporate um, sensuality and vulnerability between the couples that I work with, um, I encourage them, um, if needed, to have private moments during their birth experience. I encourage them to have kindness towards one another and um, really bringing in the elements that they may have present in their love life together. That's how the child was created, was in the presence of their love and their coming together. And oftentimes those are the same elements that can help bring the baby out peacefully. So there are things such as um, like whatever gives a woman a rush of oxytocin during her birth experience and labor, can be really beneficial, so that might be um, touch, kissing, um, embracing, things that look very similar to um, being sexual with one another. But I personally would say it's more sensual than sexual. I think it can be spiritually orgasmic to bring a baby earthside. All the hormones that are present during birth do give rushes of, um, ecstasy and bliss and things that may be compared to sacred sexuality. But, um, that, I don't think that's my, um, yeah, I, 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 really appreciated reading orgasmic birth. Um, I found there to be a lot of great knowledge in that, but for me personally, I would say sensual over sexual.
0: Working in hospice, um, there's been um, a discussion of the similarities between um, giving life and someone departing um, in death. What are the the things that that you see that um, you know? There's there's been a new movement of celebrating someone's life when they pass away, um, before sometimes even before they die, and I guess it would be the same thing for birth. So what are the things that you see that are uh, helpful for people to think about when, you know, community-wise and family-wise, when a child comes into the world? Um, we've had discussions before that sometimes people are kind of awkward when a baby comes into the world and they don't know how to react. So what are some some positive things that, that the family or the friends or the supporters can do to welcome the child into the world, kind of similar to the way that people would do a farewell for someone who, who's passing on.
2: Sure. Um, well, to I'll answer your question, but there is one thing I want to say about the similarities in hospice and birth work. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, the similarities in hospice and birth work. I read an amazing book that I would recommend um, called "Midwifing Death." And it was actually written by a woman who is uh, like a death doula or a death midwife. Um, and she goes in and uh, assists in the process. And I think what's similar between birth and the death process is there's a large amount of surrender and letting go in both of those processes. Now, I'm not a death worker or a hospice worker. but that So this is just knowledge coming from the book. But um, I would recommend that it ties the similarities between birth work and death work really well. She practiced as a midwife for birth and then later in life became um, a death to a midwife and it's called a uh, midwifing death. So, um, but from there, I think as far as um, families and couples celebrating the birth of the baby, one thing that I think is beneficial is, First, um, we focus a lot on the new life and the baby coming in, which of course is really important and is what people get very excited about. And I think it's really important when somebody in your family or in your life has a child that we step back and we remember to honor the parents and the mother who delivered that child. Um, So as a doula, I host Blessing Way Ceremonies, which is a way... Um, to honor a mother before she gives birth to her child so we call a tribe of supportive women together and we share positive birth stories poems and we wish her well before she delivers so I think it's really important to um, remember that it's the whole family that's going through the change and a woman um, is very open and vulnerable after she delivers so I think it's always wise to remember to honor the woman when um, she has just given a child and maybe when you bring a gift for baby, also bring something for mom and ask mom how she's doing and uh, making sure that we're checking in with our mothers and not just um, all about baby. Now, as far as celebrating the baby, I've seen families do um, some really beautiful things to welcome their children. Um, I think that um, I have. To, I mean, you come to mind. I know that you did the baby naming ceremony for Micah, as well as um, there was elements of celebration after she was born that were very, very sweet um, in her immediate postpartum time. Um, I also know couples and families who uh, wait and they want privacy for their first few weeks postpartum. And and then they do like this one couple I worked with did a sip and see, which was a little party at their home where there was it was like a brunch theme with uh, mimosas and juice. And everybody could come at one time to see the new child and to sip on mimosas and juice. And that was their um, ceremony welcoming their child. So I've seen it done a few different ways. Um, Religiously, there's, you know, maybe the baptism or um, a brick, something like that.
0: Tell us a little bit about um, some of the challenges that women face uh, postpartum. I know that that's not the focus on the show, but um, what are the things that that people can do to help women um, transition from the, you know, sometimes even traumatic births that can happen in the the realization of of, uh, a new life and a responsibility that comes uh, when baby's born?
2: Sure, I think, um, you know, realize that they just had a baby. So I think the most helpful thing is if you visit a woman postpartum, bring a meal uh, for the family to take one less thing off of her to-do list. Um, keep your visits short. If um, if the woman's sleep-deprived, um, you know, on trying to um, establish the breastfeeding relationship, Um, There's a getting to know her baby and bonding with her baby, she may not have the capacity for the whole family to come over for hours at a time. So it's always recommended to keep your visits short and brief. Ask her how she's doing in her postpartum time. There's been multiple times as I worked as a postpartum doula where friends or family of the client would stop by, and immediately it was like they'd rush past mom and they'd just want to hold the baby and see the baby. And that can be really alienating for the woman who just went through, um, you know, such an immensely powerful um, uh, experience. So I think uh, checking in, asking how her birth experience is, uh, how it was, how, how is her postpartum time going? Does she need anything? And many times, Right after a baby is born, friends and family are around for the first two to three weeks because they're very excited for the new baby, and that support starts to fall off through the rest of postpartum time. So a lot of couples start really facing their main sleep deprivation closer to five, six weeks, and at that time, everybody has kind of moved on from the excitement of the new baby. They brought their gifts. They maybe bought meals. So my advice would be continue checking in with women. uh, After their birth, women take, um, you know, like a lot of women I work with, they feel back into themselves a year post-birth. They have the moment of like, okay, I'm feeling like myself again. But it can take two years for a woman to recover hormonally, physically, and emotionally from a birth experience. So I think... I think really it's just like tuning in to mom, asking how you can help. Instead of sitting there at home chatting with her and holding the new baby, offer to do a load of laundry or cook a meal for the family. Think about um, anything on her to-do list that you maybe could take care of for her.
0: Part of our Sojourners uh, series uh, here in The Mystic and The Skeptic is to feature remarkable individuals and you know, we were very fortunate to have um, Brian Radigan um, last time speaking about his involvement with activism for the Dakota um, Sioux Tribe. Uh, I would like to feature you as, as someone also who's also very remarkable, and we were very uh, lucky and fortunate to meet you and and talk about not only the aspect of being a doula, but the aspect of being someone who has overcome a lot of obstacles and challenges and also uh, being able to, to find um, purpose and meaning in the midst of that. Um, so only as comfortable as you feel sharing your experience, but um, we're, we're trying to feature people who are positive, who are able to stay afloat in the midst of all the turmoil that is happening right now politically and socially in our world. So so, Kyla, can you tell us a little bit about what keeps you going? Um, you know, sometimes intentional communities, uh, even being part of them or being uh, close to them, can uh, can be a challenge. Um, at this time, you live, um, you know, 30 minutes away from uh, the farm intentional community in Summertown, Tennessee, and uh, you work closely with the midwives there. What are the things that... Um, that excites you about that type of lifestyle and um, the message that intentional communities have for the rest of the world as we're all trying to figure out how to survive?
2: Absolutely. Um, So I believe the blessings of um, my experience with specifically the farm, it's the only intentional community I've been associated with. I lived there for a year And um, then traveled nomadically for about six months. And when deciding where I was going to root in for the fall and winter, I specifically knew I wanted to be near the farm. And I live 20 miles south of there. And what that community brought into my life, um, I unintentionally joined an intentional community. And um, on my path... um, I was seeking the care from the midwives there through my pregnancy with my son, Nachas, and I lost my son at 32 weeks and experienced this what-do-we-do-now conundrum. So the midwives and all of the people at the farm were very, very supportive during our postpartum time, and it made the most sense to um, go ahead and move there and try it out. We were exploring non-conventional ways of living at that time. So what I gained from my year living directly on the community was I really started understanding this idea of tribe and this idea of having intimacy in friendships and community and um synchronicities within that group and um, building a wider web i since being on the farm another gift is this large web it has that sprawls across the world for me i experienced it in the united states traveling maybe meeting new people on the road and finding out that they had visited the farm or had lived there for a short time that was opposite of when I lived there. And it's kind of this common element of like, oh, okay, you're part of the tribe. Like, we didn't live there at the same time, but we, you know, we have that connection and there's this unspoken, like, we have each other's backs um, between us. So I would say that um, people make community for me. I'm... Um, a very I'm a social butterfly to my core and living in community was really great at expanding my web I made friends with people of all ages and backgrounds and have found um, their support, their love their wisdom, their knowledge to be only beneficial in my life so that's what the positives I got out of living in community
0: well, for those not familiar with the farm intentional community, they it's made up of artists, musicians, herbalists, uh, people from diverse backgrounds who um, all believe in the same goal of being aware and being intentional. Um, but when new uh, people come in, sometimes um, you know you have different ways of thinking, and there's been kind of yeah even tribalism in a sense of you know people having a kind of hard time uh, integrating into their environment. So um, talking to Ryan, he, he we spoke about how at times um, you realize that there's certain things that you need from the city or from a more multicultural environment. Um, do you feel that you have like a happy medium, like staying in touch with um, your fellow doulas in Nashville and having – other uh, members of your tribe in in Huntsville, Alabama, and then also working with families that are coming in from the outside to deliver their kids at the farm. Um, Are you able to navigate that uh, a little bit better than other people?
2: Yeah, I would relate that, you know, to I really do believe everything is what you make it, and sometimes I think There's this idealism that goes on in our minds and our hearts when we're seeking our intentional community and when we decide to live that way, we're expecting this community to provide everything for us. And I believe in personal accountability the community is there and offers great benefits and support and um, you know, you can get behind a lot of great causes together, but I think it's up to the individual to make sure that they're still um, feeding their own soul. And I believe that anytime we go on, you know, a lot of people that I've met who have searched for intentional community, they're, you know, people who have passed through the farm that I've gotten to know or um, others, it's, Um, the soulful journey that they're on and I think it can be you know an exposing process at times so you can't it's like being in a marriage in my opinion you can't well in my opinion you can't get everything from the other person you need other things that fill your tank your personal interests your hobbies your art whatever that may be uh, you need your friends. You need your family. You can't be everything to each other. And I would compare that to being in community. It's You're in marriage with this community, but that community can't fill your whole tank. You're still an individual who needs to make sure that if you're out in rural Tennessee like the farm is and you enjoy um, more cultured activities or fine dining, making sure that you are taking personal accountability for that and you know, going up to Nashville or going down to Florence for a nice meal here and there or um, getting your culture in where you can outside of the community. So for me, I think it's... Um, I found... I um, balance through being connected um, not only at the farm, but I made tribe in Nashville um, in Florence and in different areas of even the country to get what um, I felt I needed. I couldn't expect the community to provide everything um, for my soul. It's my personal accountability to do that for myself.
0: What is the role of social media and the internet and, and phones uh, and being able to stay um, grounded? Um, and what I mean by that is that um, sometimes you have like, very deep um, friendships with, with people, but there's a distance. And then there's a fear that once the person moves or there's, uh, you know, people get busy, that that would be lost. Do you think that now it's easier to stay connected and to stay um, to keep that 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 strong bond from far away and and then I guess also now you have planes and you have road trips you can take but do you think that someone can can live um, somewhat in isolation and still have a a great social life by using technology to to help them with that?
2: Absolutely. Um, I think it can be a really great tool. And it's funny that you actually asked this question right now, because I just got back from a journey in Colorado. And one of the women that I was traveling with and backpacking with, we actually met through Facebook. So we actually became Facebook friends First, before we ever met in real life, and we formed an intimate bond through Facebook Messenger. We had never talked on the phone, we'd never seen each other in person, but we um, became really close through that, and um, so much to, like, we took this backpacking trip together last week and enriched our friendship even more. And it was thanks to social media that we were able to do that. Um, I'm really active on social media. I've moved around um, a lot. I've lived nomadically off and on for three years. Um, I was brought up in Colorado and then moved to Nebraska when I was a teenager. So that required me to keep in touch with um, the members of my tribe in Colorado. So for me, I find social media to be in telephones and planes and cars to be really I feel really blessed to be born in this time frame where we have access to that um, to keep in touch with those that we love because there are a lot of people we don't a lot of us aren't growing up and getting married and having kids within the same communities that we were brought up in so I think using social media as a tool for that is really helpful that's primarily how I use social media um, I'm not very political on social media. It's um, more to connect with all of these beautiful, amazing, inspiring people that I've met in my travels and through my work um, to stay in touch with them.
0: So technology can help people uh, stay connected, but what about the isolation that can happen sometimes with them? Um, uh, I know some people get so into um reading blogs and and news online that they kind of get secluded and and, kind of they get uh, eaten up by that kind of stuff. Do you try to keep a balance between your uh, online time and your time in nature and out with real people?
2: Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think that... Regardless of our environment, whether we're in the city, the suburbs, in a rural environment, in community, we set our environment, our personal environment, our home, and um, we. Okay. Um, so I think we need to, you know, be mindful that we set our personal environments, and I think it's really valuable advice. At least, you know, I went through a time of depression in my early twenties, and it was a time in my life where the person I was living with during that time would turn on the TV first thing in the morning to watch the news. So the input that I was receiving right away at the beginning of the day was, you know, bad news on CNN or MSNBC. And I think it's important to be informed, but I think it's also really important to make sure that we are mindful of the input we're receiving. So that could be from media, from online, from people in our lives. Maybe there's um, somebody that's not completely healthy for us to be around. And being really mindful of setting our own personal sacred space within our. Energy.
0: You know, find positive things that can um, get people away from the news and away from what the current president is doing. What are other things that can engage people? You mentioned you know, having hobbies and having things that make people happy. What What do you think would be the the turn of the tide for for this generation to? Um, be able to reach their full potential as compared to being bogged down by what's going on in the world?
2: Yeah, I'm not sure if this is a direct answer to the question, but what I'm inspired to say is that, you know, I've seen um, the political environment through, like, the Bush presidency, through Obama's presidency, through the current presidency, you know, I've seen political debates between friends and family, like t- almost tearing apart their connections. And, you know, there's a friend that I have on the farm, and um, when he visits, I, my rule when I lived on the farm was always no politics on my porch. And it became kind of a joke with people. But the truth is, is that when I personally am hanging out with friends and family members, I would much, I think there's so much more to be gained about, um, you know, from talking about our lives and what we're going through as people and how we're growing and how we're coping. And I think that we have way more to learn from and, and tools to gain from learning each other in that way as opposed to sitting around for a few hours discussing, you know, frustrating politics. I would rather... You know, if, if you and I were sitting down and I know that you get, you know, more political than I ever will, I would rather hear about, you know, how David's doing in his life and what he's facing and how he's coping with it, the good, the bad, the ugly, the beauty. Uh, I think we have more to gain from one another through that than um, rehashing politics. Now, with that said think that it's really important, Uh, you know, that maybe sounds like really um, apathetic to the current political climate. Um, So maybe not just talking about you as an individual, but maybe talking about our community or our circle of friends that we could extend help and support to or starting um, something, you know, within our own tribe. I think it can be very overwhelming and paralyzing to, you know, look at the macro I think change, my personal opinion is change starts with a micro. It starts with me and it starts with how I impact you and our wider circle as opposed to trying to take it on from the top down. I would say that starting at the micro level is more beneficial with one another. Like if we're frustrated with a, something that they're you know or're oppressed by something that this president's doing, I'd rather get together and figure out, you know, do we need to. Uh, are we just all feeling emotional about it and we need to support each other emotionally? Are we um, concerned enough that, you know, our rights are going to be taken away and we need to, um, you know, form a support system within our community? What does that look like? Um, So I could go on about that. But, yeah, I think, um, you know, developing intimacy and closeness within our close-knit group. Is is more beneficial than trying to take on the you know whole whole world.
0: What why do you think people um, create their identities around politics and beliefs as compared to experiences and their own self um, realizations? Like it seems like people are so divided that is everything is based on party lines or views on you know, how to run the, the country as compared to uh, based on their achievements or their own personal uh, realizations. Uh, why do you think that is so?
2: Uh, you know, that's a really great question, and it actually challenges me a little bit. But my first response would be I think it's really vulnerable to share our personal challenges and successes and sometimes it can be easier to identify with a larger group or a party or an organization and to decide to, um, you know, delve into that over the vulnerability and um, intimacy that it can come, that can come with, um, you know, exposing more of our experiential knowledge and, um, yeah
0: and and that's from both sides like you know the left and the right are ideologically based so you know you'll be in a room and and people want you to agree with them on every level or something like that and we've talked about how you know there's polite conversation and and somehow people are have stopped being polite and they just want to you know convince people of their views um have you ever experienced that from the left, like people being too pushy on their their views from the other uh, spectrum?
2: Absolutely, and I don't identify with the right or the left, really. I don't prefer to put myself in either of those boxes, personally, and I think they're... Is just as much of it on both sides. And anytime that we're looking to division as opposed to union, it concerns me. Um, Because we're all just people. And I have some really beautiful, inspiring people in my life who are from all, you know, identify on the right or the left, and they still all have their value, Um, but, you know, it's getting past those divisions, and if we're going to talk about power and control and um, the influence government has, I think part of their strategy is to divide us among party lines that way you know that's how elections work you vote for right issues or left issues and it can really cause division like I said in friend groups and families and communities all based on this two-party system so if I were to get political which now David you're making me sound political but I think that um it happens on both sides and I again no politics on Kyla's porch like let's sit down and Uh, find out what we have in common or find unity or, you know, something special in one another or learn from each other. And I prefer when I, (laughs) when I communicate with people, I I have so many other things that I would rather explore with them than, um, right or left or black and white.
0: And, um, to, to close off, um, our conversation, is there, um, Anything you would like to share with uh, our audience about uh, the grief journey? Like, what what were things that, that helped you um, process that? I know, we know that grief can can go on for the rest of our lives, and when we're dealing with difficult um, losses, it is debilitating. So, what are the things that, um, in your experience, were able to give you hope and meaning in the midst of uh, your loss and And what would you like for people to um, consider if they're going through uh, a a similar experience?
2: Sure, absolutely. So, yeah, after um, my son Natchez was born sleeping, I've been on a very, very dynamic journey. And um, the wisdom that I have from that journey, the number one piece of advice that I give is be how you need to be when you need to be it and that's a statement of advice about honoring yourself there are a lot of influences when you're grieving there's a lot of uh, sometimes you can be faced with opinions of like how far are you on your journey and are you where you're supposed to quote unquote supposed to be and I think um just honoring where you are and how you feel in the moment can That alone can just be really helpful. So what that might look like is waking up, weeping. Maybe yesterday you had a great day and today you wake up and you're weeping, but you have obligations that day. Well, I think it's wise to check in with yourself and say, you know what, maybe today is the day that I need to fix myself a cup of tea, go for a hike and weep and honor my grief today. I often talk about grief I most refer to it as a little pet where it's like, you know, maybe I need to care for that today. Maybe yesterday it wasn't so present, but today it is. So I need to go, you know, take it for a walk and feed it and water it. And maybe I'm not going to, my day is not going to go exactly as I thought it would today. And I need to say no to some people so I can honor myself in my grief. Um I think reaching out for um, support can be really vulnerable. I think paying attention to the company you keep, um, finding those um, friends or family members who um, feel right to you when you talk to them, they're honoring your process. They're a you know positive witness, and um, if if need be, cutting ties or putting relationships on pause that aren't supportive for you. Um, because sometimes, you know, I, I facilitate a loss circle. It's called uh, Sisterhood of Loss Circle in, in partnership with Bluma in Nashville. And, you know, a common theme that comes up is not only do we have our grief, but we also have to process how others treat us in our grief so I would recommend, like, going where the light and the love and the support is and maybe putting a pause to anything that could be harmful or hurtful to you in your grief, including maybe, you know, non-supportive people. Um, I believe in self-care. Um, you know, I like, I can relate to, like, I remember the six-month anniversary of my son's um, death. I... Like, went out and I bought a dress for myself. And that might sound materialistic or silly, but it was my way of honoring my grief. Like, I made it through this journey of grief for six months. And I had to be strong through it. And it's been dynamic. So I'm going to honor myself. And, you know, this is a token of my journey. Or I need to go on, you know, a weekend getaway away from it all to go, you know, stare out into the ocean or go on hikes. Or you know, go to a big city and um, check out restaurants and coffee shops. Whatever it is, I just um, we have an intuitive thing within us that leads us in how to cope. And I think the first big step is just learning how to honor that.
0: Thank you for listening. We will be back next week with another episode of the Mystic and the Skeptic.
1: Show descriptions and content are available online on our Facebook page.
0: We would like to thank Radio Free Nashville for their technical guidance and assistance. The songs you hear on our introduction and finale are from the band The Ancient Gnostics. The first one is called Day by Day, produced by Hafki. The second one is called All Mine, and it's produced by Brotherhood.
1: Better on my own now, is my time. It's what I chose, it's what I own, it's my life. Last time I checked and looked it up, it's all mine. I know I ain't been here for a long time. Doing better on my own now, it's my time. It's what I chose, it's what I own, it's my life. Last time I checked and looked it up, it's all mine. I'm online, I'm on track, I'm just fine. It's all mine I may find when I think about it It's all mine I may find if I look inside It's all mine See the choice is yours to unlock the force Telekinesis That Christ conscious is always constant We are Jesus But we're born in a world torn into fragments and pieces More tragedy in this reality Imagine where peace is. Now it's up to us, no it's and buts, no matter the cost Cause we're the cause, free from the loss and from above Now I'm flying. I know I ain't been here for a long time. Doing better on my own now is my time. It's what I chose. It's what I own. It's my life. So, so. mama always told me nothing in this life is given. Only that this promise so you better not be sinning. Mama, I'm just living, working hard for these better days. Tired of working like a slave, sweat dripping down my face. Gotta hustle for that cake. Trying each and every way. The only limits are in my mind. There is no time feeling like I've risen, risen from the ashes, wondering if the masses don't believe me, wondering if they'll feel me, wondering if they'll receive us. I don't know, so too, the universe I pray, smoke a blunt and meditate, contemplate on how it's all mine, on how it's all ours, I've been selfish for way too long. I'm sorry if I ever did you wrong I know I ain't been here for a long time Doing better on my own now, it's my time It's what I chose, it's what I own, it's my life This time I checked and looked it up, it's all mine I'm on line, I'm on track, I'm just fine I may find when I look back, it's all mine